0: Okay God, here we go. Step 9 tonight. I just ask that you join join us all here on the Zoom meeting. You know, we're here for for some some knowledge, some experience, some growth, some some learning. You know, I ask you to keep an open mind for myself, keep me teachable, allow me to learn something tonight. Allow me to be a an instrument of of uh, my experience, strength, and hope as it relates and pertains to the solution that saved my life in the big book. You know, I just ask that you to guide my words and and show me what I need to say and what do I need to do. You know, we're into the step nine amends here and amends for my recovery was pretty important. So if I can bring some experiences out that would be awesome, and then just allow us all here for an open mind experience. You know, a new experience today and a with God and with the program and and with this step and and each other, and you know, just keep us all all engaged. And God, I thank you for for getting me sober and keeping me here in AA and showing me a new way of life and. And I'm honored to to be here to do this. So thank you very much, God, and everybody here. Amen. Okay, so we're on step nine. Step nine's, uh, you know, hopefully I've done my steps thoroughly. Because step nine and step eight are, are really important. Um, as I go through the first number of steps... And I get to work because the program of solution for me, and the book tells me, doesn't start till step four. So as I get into the step four process, I start seeing, you know, the things that I do that maybe cause a lot of failure in my life. I start seeing that in the fourth column. I start seeing how my life's driven with fear. I start seeing, you know, how my relationship conduct and my relationships is... uh, maybe not the truth that I've always thought it was. And I get humbled as I talk about this with God and, and my sponsor or whoever I do my step five with. And I, and I get to see that, you know, I'm, I'm to blame in a lot of my own problems. And what I like in step five in the 12 and 12, it talks about an honest analysis of what and who I really am. You know, yeah, one, I'm an alcoholic for sure, but I have this character And this character actually causes me a lot of my problems. A lot of my deficiencies are my selfishness, my self-seeking, my self-centeredness, and it's driven mostly by fear. And then as I kind of come out of the step five, hopefully I'm properly humbled and I see that I play a large role in how my life is in the situation that it is. Um, The good thing about that line I read is, you know, with an honest analysis of what and who I really am, with a sincere attempt to become who I can really be. And that's kind of the end of step five is putting the past behind me. And the the emphasis on step six is, you know, I, I try to change. And I try to build character. And this is not an overnight matter. It's very, very difficult. And then as I keep working through my six and seven, I get to eight. And eight is about harms and making the list. And I get to see a lot of the harms that I've done. And hopefully if I've done my program right, I'm actually really, really sorry. And I really, really do want to change. So I make this list. I go through it with my sponsor. And then we, we tackle the names on this list. Um, and that is what step nine is about. As I tackle the names on my step eight list, this is, a, this is an area that you should not do by yourself as a sponsee. You shouldn't do any of these steps by yourself, but this one especially. The name should be gone through with your sponsor so that they can really help you check your motives. Because none of this that we're doing here is about your intention. You know, we all have the best intention almost always in most of the things we're, we're doing in life. But underneath our intention usually is a motive. And we're driven by something of what we're trying to get or what we're afraid to lose. And as I go into the amends, oftentimes a new person will go and start doing amends by themselves, but they're doing it for relief. But their intention is good because they want to they make things right. But as, if you're going into the amend for relief, then you're going in for a selfish, self-seeking reason. And it is a decision based on self. And if you're adhering to the literature, you know, any life ran on self-will will hardly be a success. I will probably hurt myself and I will hurt this person again. So I got a, you know, in the step eight in the 12 and 12, it talks about a deep and honest look at my actions and motives. So it's a deep and honest look at at what I've done, what I'm going to do, and what are my motives, what were my motives. And And a sponsor has a way easier time looking at that for you than you do if you're new. And then from a sponsor's perspective in this step, this is a step that just changes and Every situation's a little bit different. And as I was a new sponsor, sponsoring people through this step, um, some of what I'm talking about I didn't fully understand. But through the periods of of working with different sponsees and learning more about myself, I started putting some things together. And today I'm I'm pretty well versed in this area and I've seen what works and I've seen what doesn't work. So for me, what I've seen that works for the people that I work with, depending on the the situation, but if somebody's a chronic alcoholic, they've been drinking and drugging a long time, and maybe they've tried this program a number of times, a number of different years, um, and then they come into this and they get some consistency with staying sober. I'm not going to send these people out to go make amends to their family first. Why? Because 10 or 20 years of drunkenness is going to make a skeptic out of anybody. I think, with the family, those are the ones we want to do first. Because they're the easiest, and because the people love us, and they're going to probably forgive us. And underneath the surface, we're probably, we want to open the door. Because if we're going to use anybody, it's usually family. So we want, we want the relief for various different reasons from the family. But as a sponsor, I'm not going to send you out to go make amends to your family if, uh, if you have a bad track record. I want you to live the amend, and I want you to show through the building of character, like step 6 and 7 are about, that you're actually changing. And if you can put a good year of this change into your life, and you're in con- connection with me, then after about eight months or a year, or maybe it's two years, then you go and make the amendment and it actually means something. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a lot of people will also make amends because they feel guilt and shame of something they've thought or said about somebody. You know, I've, uh, I've had people make amends to me um, because they've thought poorly of me. You know, a lot of people will make a judgment on me because I'm fairly forceful or, or I'm very opinionated or or whatever their their brush on me is. And then they'll, they'll judge me. Or maybe they have heard something, gossip or whatever. And then they get to know me and they realize, holy shit, I've thought wrong about this person for a long time and I owe them an amend. And then they'll come and make an amend to me. And I'm like... I look at them and I'm like, just because you thought something bad about me, that your own guilt and shame that you were wrong, you don't owe me an amend. You never harmed me spiritually, physically, emotionally, or mentally. You've harmed yourself, but you've never harmed me. So the minute that they make the amend because they're trying to relieve themselves of their own guilt because of their own wrong assessment, now they actually owe me an amend. So, this is, this is a kind of a tricky step that we don't do alone. And we work with our sponsor. And no matter what I say here today on this step, you always adhere to what your sponsor's telling you. Because I'm not here to combat anyone's sponsorship. I'm just here to share my experience as a sponsee and as a sponsor and through the literature of what this step actually means to me and my experience. And like I said before, this isn't actually a big book study. This is this is me sharing my experience and knowledge with the with the literature, based on my life's experience. And uh, you know, I try to do my best to to be honest and show you guys the truth and what I actually think the literature means. Because I am a student of the book, I try to adhere to the book. Am I a perfect human being? No, but I do try. So anyway. So we're going to get into this step. If anyone has any questions, as I've done other studies, this is one of the steps that I get most of the questions on. So if you have questions, you can definitely just kind of unmute yourself and go, hey, can I ask you a question? And then I'll try to answer it okay, to the best of my ability. So we're going to get going here on uh, page 72, chapter 6, into action. Actually, sorry, sorry, I'm on the wrong page, not page 72, page uh, 76, halfway down the page. So in the big book, they put step eight and nine together. There's hardly anything on step eight. It has a little bit of information here on step eight, but most of this whole chapter is on step nine. If you want anything actually on step eight, we did that the last time I was live on Zoom, um... Your 12 and 12 is your best bet. Or, or talk to people who, who understand step 8 a bit. But there's not much in the big book. So anyway, now we need more action. Without which we find faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps 8 and 9. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends to. We made it when we took inventory. So we're talking about this list that we get from the step 4. So there's basically two lists that we're going to combine here. There's a list that I get from step four on my harms, on my resentments, and on my sex conduct. And I have a list from my step four. But that's not all of it. There's another list, and the list is people that I didn't have a resentment against, and people that I didn't harm in my sex conduct. And then we construct the two lists, and we make one list out of it. So sometimes I hear, you know, I get all my, my amends lists out of my step four. It's partially true, but it's not fully true. We get a lot of our amends from people that we didn't actually have resentment against or, or do anything um, to in our sex relations. Anyway, so we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any lengths over victory over alcohol. And that's important. And I like how he puts that right here. It was agreed at the beginning that I would do anything to stay sober. Because I'm usually pretty beaten to a pulp and I'm willing to do anything. But usually somebody's getting a little bit weller by this point and their willingness is depleted. Um, Or their job is back in order or their, their girlfriend came back and things are going pretty good. And the willingness to do anything to stay sober really, really declines. That's why I always say willingness is probably the most important principle behind all the steps because without willingness, none of this other shit happens. So Bill's just reminding us of what we what we agreed to at the beginning. And if I'm going to say people relapse, they relapse on step four, and they relapse on step eight. Those are the two biggest relapse steps. Um, and why do I say that? Well, for, usually you do the step three prayer. You have a bit of a spiritual awakening, and, and you feel really good. And a lot of people are scared of step four because the message in the room is it's very scary, which I don't think is the right message because it's actually the first step into the new life. And I think that's the message we should carry because step four to me actually was the rubber that met the road step, which helped really launch my recovery and change my life. And I think that's the message that we should be delivering on, on step four. But then, okay, if I can make it pass through my step four and five, I get to step five, and I dump all this shit out. And I feel so good. Maybe not the day I do my step five, but within a week, I usually feel so good because I've now dumped a lot of my past behind me. I've talked about it with God, and another human being, and, I, and it's not tormenting me. And then I start feeling the, the promises of step five, walking hand in hand with my creator and these kinds of things. And I get that other spiritual experience from step five. And then I mistake that as the spiritual awakening, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I feel so good. I don't even know if I need to do the rest of this. But as I do the five, most sponsors are going to say, okay, go home and do your six and seven, and then the next thing you know, you're on eight. So that's why I say step eight, because you've done your five, six, seven very quickly. You're on step eight, and now step eight is the stall step, where people will stall and stall and stall. And they've done a lot of work, yeah. But you're barely halfway through the program. So it's very, very risky, and a lot of people relapse here. So, just so you know. Okay. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. And I, I honestly don't recommend emphasizing the spiritual feature on any approach, really. Because if I'm going to go in and, and emphasize the spiritual approach, I'm, I might piss people off and they're going to be thinking, oh, this guy's whacked. He's talking about God. And I don't know. You know, we don't emphasize the spiritual feature, we just go in in a general way. Okay? And on the next page, it says, we might prejudice them. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because I know if somebody came up to me that I didn't know and I wasn't in an and they started talking about God and me- needing to make this amend to me, I'd just be like, get get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't, I, me personally, I, I didn't want to hear anything you had to say if you mentioned the word God. So, you know, I'm sure there's many more people out there like me because I know I raised my kids like that. They're a little bit better now because I had to rewind some of that that teachings, but... We don't go and emphasize the spiritual approach on the first first go or most of the goes. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. This is really, really important. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. That is our real purpose in this program. And as we look at, you know, our primary purpose is to help another alcoholic. The group's purpose, primary purpose is to help another alcoholic because God's using our biggest deficit in life, our biggest catastrophe, I'm an alcoholic, and he bill uses my most my worst deficit as my greatest asset and it ends up becoming a tool that I can use to change my life and help others change theirs. But as we keep going and we keep working with alcoholics, keep pa- practicing these principles in all of our affairs, The real purpose of all of this is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the fellows about us. So when you look at all the principles behind each step, there's one principle that trumps all those principles. The principle that trumps them all is love. And when you look at every principle on the 12 steps, it funnels you to one place. And the one place is love. So the end is greater than the means. The means are the steps and the principles, but the end of that is love. And as we become of maximum service to God and our fellows, that's, that's the real deal here. And way back in there's a solution. It says a much more important demonstration of these principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and all of our affairs. It's telling me right in the big book that it's way more important for me to practice these principles everywhere else other than here. Because if I can practice them everywhere else other than here, I'm actually going to grow and I'm going to be fitting myself to be of maximum service to God and my fellows. But what's all too common is most people will come here, put on a pretty good show and try their best, but then they go home and they forget, you know, what we're doing sometimes or, or you know, go home, kick the dog or be an asshole at work and, and not really try the stuff with the vigor at home as they are here. But it's way more important there, because it's easy here. Anyway, it is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. Yeah, don't do that. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. But our man is sure to be impressed with, sincere, with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in the demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. And that's really, really important. People really want you to change. People want people inherently to be better and do better. And this man is, is going to be way more impressed with me if he sees that I'm sincerely trying to better my life. Um, he's going to be more interested in goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. But so many people will talk about the spiritual discovery because spiritual always kind of equals, you know, trying to be a better person, but it really turns people off. So we go in there with, with a general attitude, and we lead with, with character, and we lead with, with kindness and, you know, authenticity. And that goes way further than trying to talk my way into that by telling you how spiritual I am. Eh? We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose. So there's the caveat. You can talk about spiritual and you can talk about God. If it serves a good purpose. And there's a line that's going to be coming up. We use tact and common sense. This is why sponsorship is so important. Sometimes when I get sponsees to do their their amends before they even go out into the world to do them. I say, I want to see a letter, one letter to your mom, one letter to your dad. I want to see a letter written to, you know, the women in your life that you've fucked over. I want to see a letter written to your at least one of your children. And I want to see a letter written to, you know, a couple other categories. So I might have five or six letters that I make a person write before they go make the amend. Because as they write down the, the words on a letter, and then I get to read it, I'm able to see their motive. I'm able to see if they're blaming alcohol, if they're blaming spirituality, or using it as a crutch. I get to see the sincerity behind their actual amend, and I get to see a lot of truth. There's been many times where I've gotten these letters, and I've, I've thrown the letters back at the sponsee and said, you're missing, the, you're missing the point here. You're blaming alcohol. Or you're not taking responsibility. So this is kind of what we're trying to do, right? We're, we're trying to take responsibility for our actions. And the whole name of this game is called humility. And a lot of this process of the amends is humil- humiliation and humility through pain. But it's also the component of a desire to seek and do God's will and set set these things right. From a sincere perspective though, not from a relief perspective. Okay, so when it it will use good purpose or serve good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. So we use tact and common sense. Use your sponsor. Use God. The question of how to approach these men we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. Though we, may have, though we may have acquired a much better attitude towards him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Yeah, and that's, that's true. It might be that this guy or this person has done more harm than you have done him. And though you have acquired a better attitude towards him, you're not too, too keen about admitting your faults. Especially if they've done way more harm to you. You don't really want to go in there and make this amend. But this isn't about... Who's to blame or who's 70% right and who's 70, 30% wrong? If you're the 30% wrong, then we focus 100% on your 30%. That's all we're doing here. It's just like the fourth column in step four. Putting our minds entirely the wrongs the others have done to us, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. So no matter what wrong somebody else may have done you, this isn't about them to a degree It's about you, an honest and deep search of your motives and actions yourself, and then going to try to correct this. And God's going to take care of them however God takes care of them anyway. But this is for us. And it's for them. With sincerity. It's not a competition. Okay. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. Boom, there it is doesn't matter if you dislike them. You take the bit in your teeth and you go at it. And and picture putting a bit in your teeth and going at it. It's like, oh, I got to do this. But yeah, we do this. We do this. And the benefits are, we don't know what the benefits are, but I'm telling you, they're all good. Like there's been some amends I've done in my life that have affected other parts of my life. I would have no idea that that, part of my life would have been affected in such a positive way. So the the, the way God works and amends is, is amazing. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit. That's really important. So as we're talking about directions, clear-cut directions in this book, and I've been talking about that from the very first Start of this study. This is a book of clear-cut directions. Here's your do's and your don'ts of your amends. For the most part. But the sponsor can help fill in the other do's and don'ts because everything's not here. But it it is important to underline this. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit. That's what we do. And if we don't have the willingness or we're not going into it like that, then we probably shouldn't be doing it. Confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. See? We're expressing our regret. i got to be truly sorry for what I've done. I'm not going in there just to clean my side of the street so I can get on with step 10. I'm going in there to, to set this matter right. The principle behind step 10 is justice. I'm trying to bring justice to the situation. But not comparatively that he did 70% wrong to me and I only did 30%. We just worry about your 100% as your 30%. And focus on your wrongs. It's building your character. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Boom. Clear cut directions. Under no condition do you criticize this other person or argue. We don't do that. At all. Just like in step four. With resentment. Um... We don't retaliate, we don't argue, period. So part, part of this program for me is I try not to retaliate or argue. I don't bring anger into anything. Anger is a dubious luxury of normal people. For me, anger is poison. So I've got to adhere to the literature and follow the directions in these areas. Okay? So under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell them that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. Well, that's a tact and common sense line too. If you start going into these amends telling them that you're not going to get over drinking until you straighten out your past, most people don't give a fuck whether you quit drinking or not. Most people just want payback. They want an apology. They want you to change. They don't give a fuck about your drinking or not. They want you to be a respectful human being, that's it. So I don't, I don't really like this line, okay? If it's, if it's tactful and common sense-wise, and somebody knows you're a major alcoholic addict, okay, you can bring that up. But typically, the amend is not talked about as you're, you're not going to get over drinking. So we don't go to 50 people that I owe amends to and tell them I'm not going to get over drinking unless I do this. You know, maybe two of those people that know I'm a total raging alcoholic and if I don't do this, they know that I'm screwed. But the other 48 or 49 people, I go in there as a regular human being and I admit my wrongs regardless if my actions were all related to drinking. Regardless of that. But most of the time, a lot of our actions aren't just related to drinking, they're related to the defective character. So anyway, I'll just reread that. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing not that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what we should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank and open. We will be gratified with the result. So again, going back to cleaning up our side of the street. So many times I hear that in the meeting. This is about me clearing my side of the street, clearing my side of the street, clearing my side of the street. Well, why are you clearing your side of the street? Are you clearing it to get the guilt and shame out of your life and have relief? If you're doing that, then you're doing it for the wrong motive. Your actions and motives are not in alignment with what we're doing here. Or am I clearing off my side of the street because I'm truly sorry and I actually want to change? Then we're on the right track. Um, Never trying to tell him what he should do. We never go and tell these people. We don't argue and we don't tell them what they should do. His faults are not discussed, period. I love how Bill writes. Like that's one sentence. His faults are not discussed, period. Why? Because that's important. It's so tempting when we're talking these things face to face, especially with people we dislike or don't really want to do this with. As they say something, we want to say something back. But it tells me, no, his faults are not discussed at all, period. This is part of the humility. I want to say something, but I can't. Oh, that's fucking painful. I sit there. And I take it. We stick to our own, period. Another short sentence, because it's important. If our manner is calm, which it should be, because I'm going into this with a forgiving attitude, frank and open, we will be gratified with the result. So that's, that's kind of the key. I go in this with a proper display of honesty and morality. And I stand a better chance of getting what I really want. The thing with amends is most people have an expectation of how the amend is going to go. You ask anyone, okay, I'm going to go to this amend, they, are, they already have an idea of how the amend is going to turn out. But I'll tell you through being a sponsor and through my own process of doing my own amends, pfft, hardly ever did it ever turn out the way I thought it did. So we go in there with an open mind we're frank and open and and we just do the amend and we leave it in God's hands. Every amend should be started off with God. Before you walk into the room, before you ring the doorbell, we ask God for help. And hopefully we have called our sponsor first and let him know what we're doing right now. I just did a step eight with the sponsee the other night and I'm like, I gave him 10 amends that I want him to get going with. And I said, I'm hoping you can call me as right before you're doing the amend. I'd like to debrief you right before you do the amend. And if you can't call me, call somebody. And if you can't call somebody, then you talk to God and you go in there with the honest display of morality and honesty. And so he's got his directions from me on how I want him to handle that. And each sponsor will do it a little bit differently. And then it goes on to say here, and this is my experience. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Yeah, it doesn't go the way that you thought it was. You thought you were going to destroy the other person because they couldn't handle what you said, and you didn't want to do it, so you had to get the willingness, and your sponsor said, well, you do have to do it. And then you go in there with this expectation that it's going to go this way, and it goes so different. Because when God's involved, most of our lives we're running where God's not involved. And of course, we're fighting the world with force. And we're always going to encounter counterforce with force. But if we go into these things with God, we're going in with power. It's a totally different approach. And the universe listens in a different way. Because God is power. Power needs nothing to complete it. God is full and complete. Needs nothing. So the presence of God will work differently in this than if you go in there with force. Because force needs to be fat energy constantly and always works in counterforce. And that's how I lived my life. That is the essence of step three, the actor that wants to run the whole show. If everyone would just do what I want, the way I want it, we'd all be happy. That whole chapter is about using force. And force creates counterforce. So, sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of years, standing, melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So if you go into some of these amends where they actually dislike you and you dislike them and you go in and you do it, Maybe they're going to say, you know what, I don't want you here, get the fuck out. But if you went in there with an honest desire, you went in there with power, and then they did what they did, and then you move along and, and you just leave. And maybe they even say some shit to you. But it says we don't argue. We, we take it. And we leave. And there might be another opportunity for this man at another point in your life. But at the time this guy is so mad at you or me, this is not the time. I use tact and common sense. But there might be an opportunity, and this is discussed with my sponsor, and he would probably say, you know what? I want you to write a letter to this guy right now. I want you to go down to the river, and I want you to pray for this guy and and read this letter like he was there with you. And we we do the uh, deferred amend, postpone it, let's write a letter, and we'll deal with it that way. Maybe in five years down the road, this guy changes. Maybe he comes into the program. Maybe you bump into him at a picnic and you can make the amend and his defenses are down. And yeah, like this is the point of building character because as, as Emmett's experience shows, yeah, maybe the guy didn't want the amend when he was ready to do it. And and just so happened to be that Emmett had to still see this guy all the time. But the guy's going to be more impressed with his building of character. And he's going to see that this guy's actually changing. And then at some point down the road, yeah, Emmett, Emmett's humbled by the non-acceptance of the amend. But as Emmett uses God and walks forward with truth, it'll work itself out. And then the amend can be made at some point. And these guys can reestablish maybe even a friendship. You know, years of feuds can melt away. But it's all in the building of character. It's all in the non-retaliation. It's all in the presence of God and bringing God in. Because our natural inclination is to, to fight back. Or, or, you know, use these old tactics that we use. That's why amend means amendment. And amendment means to change. And when I make these amends, I'm kind of signing a contract not to be like that anymore. And if I do, I have a step 10 process where I can, I can cap it off right now and it never hits a step nine amends list. That is the purpose of step 10, to keep me clear so that I'm not doing a set of steps every fucking two months. Step, 10's ha- step 10 process, which we're going to do on Sunday, which is probably going to be one of my favorite deliveries of this whole study, has the spot where it says we make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. But if I'm following the process Properly, I'm probably not harming many people and I keep the channel clear. Why am I keeping this channel clear? Anyway, why am I doing all this fucking work? Because I have a spiritual malady and it's been blocking off God and I need to stay alive and I need to keep a connection with God. And if I keep allowing this shit to cover up my connection with God, eventually I'll pick up a drink. So as I build character and I learn this process and I start learning how to turn my will and my life over, I won't want to drink because I'm not fighting anyone or anything, even alcohol. So sometimes we forget why we're doing this when we get up to these latter steps. We're doing it because I don't want to drink again, and I want to be a better person. And I don't really know the real gifts of this program my first time through when I get here, but I do feel some gifts because I have stopped drinking and my life's gotten a lot better. But the real gifts, I think, through the running of these, these principles and the steps and the mechanics of the steps with a good understanding actually happens over the next number of years where you actually learn how to turn your will in your life over, where you actually understand what self-sacrifice means. Because through self-sacrifice is where I grow closer to God And this step is, in essence, about self-sacrificing because I don't really want to do some of this stuff sometimes. But I do it because I sacrifice my selfishness. I sacrifice my self-centered fear. I sacrifice my anger. I sacrifice self because self is the root of my trouble. And I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-delusion. That's why I need a sponsor because I'm in self-delusion. I'll convince myself of anything, especially in the amends. So about a third of the way down or a quarter of the way down, 78, our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. Here, most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors, period. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is probably the one that most people will dodge most people will dodge their creditors most people don't really want to be fully honest on their amends list with the amount of financial amends that they have what we what we tend to forget is the money that you owe isn't your money anymore you might owe 10,000 15,000 30 40,000 of somebody else's money but we still kind of convince ourselves that well this is my money that I'm going to be given away no, it's somebody else's money. And, and until we, like, make things right, parts of our lives we won't receive properly. That's my belief. So if I'm not paying back the $10,000 I owe and I keep, you know, kind of sweeping that part out of the carpet, but I continually am broke, then I better be prepared to be broke because that's kind of how the universe works. Once I start paying and making things right in my life, then the things that I've always wanted start coming back to me. I have a saying that I got from somewhere. I said, when I start working for God and the people, the people and God start working for me. When I start giving love, I start receiving love. When I start giving forgiveness, I am forgiven. And when I start paying back my amends, and when I don't because I'm too afraid of being broke, but when I start paying it back even though I'm broke, at some point I start receiving money. That's, that's kind of how this works. There's, there's spiritual laws in this world that don't make sense in the world of the material where we live. And until we adhere to some of this, this, this process, because this is a spiritual bro- book, we won't understand the spiritual law. The world of the material and the world of the spirit don't make sense to each other. Although the world of the spirit, we can see when a person gets into the world of the spirit, they can see the world of the material and how destructive it is. But someone that's living in the world of the material can't really understand the world of the spirit. There's a line in Bill's story where it says, common sense thus becomes uncommon sense. And that's the truth. The way that you think the world works is actually the opposite. The more you give, the more you receive. It is by self-forgetting that one finds. Well, I've been looking all my fucking life, but I've been looking from a point of selfishness, trying to get. It's only when I learn to give that I actually receive. You know, it is by forgiving that I'm forgiven. The whole St. Francis prayer is like, bang on. But a lot of that just seems like theoretical. How, How do you actually live that? Well, you can't live it if you don't try. And part of that stuff, that's why it's in meditation section of step 11 in the 12 and 12, because we pray and meditate, and as you pray and meditate on that shit, it actually does something deep down inside, which you can't really explain because it's non explainable, which is why you can't explain the world of the spirit. So most alcoholics so own money. We do not dodge our creditors. Very important to not dodge our creditors. Um, I know... People that have had 80,000, 100,000, 300,000 on their amends list. They've paid it off. My, my When I first came in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had 350,000 on my amends. Um, did I pay every penny of it back? No. But what did I do? I cleaned up the wreckage of my past. I, I knocked off like 320,000 in a bankruptcy. Most of it was to the government because I quit paying my payroll remittances. I quit paying my, my GST, and then I had some personal debt. So I took the appropriate action, and I went to the bankruptcy trustee, and we looked at all the options, and then my option was, okay, if I go bankruptcy, then, then I, my credit shot for seven years. So that's the route that I took. Um, was I able to pay back 350000 Probably maybe by the time I died. But at least I dealt with it in a proper way that was legal and all of these things. And then I paid back the other money that I still owe and I still have a little bit to pay. But I know many people that have paid eighty, dollars dollars $100, $150,000 off in their amends. It's taken them five years, ten years. But people do it. Why? Because their life depends on it. And they believe in the, uh, the uh, power of abundance. But you've got to pay back first. Okay, telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not, nor are they afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. So I've had to use that. I do believe this to be true. I can use, you know, I was a drug addict for For this many years, and I I wasn't able to do this, and I'm calling you to try to make this right, what can we work out? Most companies are going to understand that, especially in the state of the world with how much drugs and alcohol are around. People will try to work with you. And I've seen people do amends on thousands of dollars where they're only paying 20 bucks a week. At least it's something. And, And the intent of the paying back also has a big effect in the world of the spirit. So it's important to even to make the effort, even if it's a little bit. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal, we can let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go. For we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. So we have to face our creditors no matter how far it means we got to go. Because if I don't do this program, and the program is, became willing to make amends to them all. And then made direct amends. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't say, okay, the program's like, all of the steps, but only half of step nine. Doing all of the amends is all of the program. And if you're not doing all of the amends, you're not doing the program. That's just the bottom line. You know, became willing to make amends to them all and then going to make amends to them all. And if I only did like, you know, 10 amends and left, left 60 amends on the table and just am living the rest of my life and forgetting about the other 60 amends, there's so many gifts or, or you know, there's so much that I'm going to not get. But I think that I'm, I'm doing it the way that I should. And then I forget about the 60. But my life's a little better. But it's so much better than it could be. But you won't know it. And there's the humility aspect of doing the other 50 or 60 amends that you're missing out on the humility. And when you look at humility in step 7, it's the greatest gifts in the program. The attainment of true humility gives me true freedom of the human spirit. That's what I want. I don't want the guilt and shame of still owing 60 amends. I want true freedom of the human spirit that won't come from doing this shit half measures. Another promise in step seven is peace of mind. The priceless gift of peace of mind. Just think, if you paid all your amends, the peace of mind that you have, the sense of accomplishment that you get out of that, the self-respect the self that you get from that, and it's not false, it's real integrity. And that's what we want. Another amends is the faith that can meet any emergency. I want faith that can meet any emergency. And what we're talking about is the attainment of greater humility. More humility than may be required for staying sober. Where I don't have a chance of becoming truly happy. There's another promise, step seven, truly happy. You know, I get to fear pain less and desire humility more than ever. The nourishing ingredient that gives me serenity. This is all step seven stuff that I don't believe will fully come around to you if you're doing half your amends. And what is step seven? Step seven, surrender to God. Step seven is where all the best gifts are. It doesn't happen your first time through, but it happens over time as the years go on. And you you do this work. So it's really important to, to not leave your list of amends undone and forget about them because nobody's talking to you about it anymore you got 5 years in but you still got 40 amends to do but you're not doing it because no one's hassling you because you're not new you know it's very important to kind of re-up your game if you're hanging out with some old amends and get them done and don't get me wrong I fall into the same shit I'm talking about so I'm glad I'm talking about it because it's lighting a fire under my ass going what the fuck are you doing Bill I'm holding myself accountable here because I got some amends I need to do that I've slighted but I can't be doing that I can't be sitting here telling you what to do and I'm not doing it but that's the benefit like we discussed yesterday on the eight to nine of sponsorship I I can tell a sponsee what to do all day long but then eventually I'm like dude you gotta fucking do this too that was what was early in my recovery when I first started sponsoring it really taught me a lot so again sponsorship will teach you so much. Hel- and it holds you accountable in your own amends, in your own life. And teaches you a lot of lessons and helps heal you. And I always talk about the program as being a healing program. This program heals. The step, tw- step 12 heals you, working with another. And as I go back and realize some of my amends aren't done, some of my financial amends aren't done, I can go do them and I, I can heal more. And I don't know what gifts are behind the healing. So I'm glad we're doing this tonight because I really had a slap in the side of the head myself. Anyway, so we must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go if we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offence which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned if we lose our job or or if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and we have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indignant about it. And the warrant has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. Um, Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some guiding principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Then again, Bill's reminding me about step four. The alcoholic whose hope is maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. I made a promise back in step four to want to grow spiritually. And, and get myself out of, out of my state. And again, Bill's reminding me again. Just because if it wasn't good enough to, to remind me that I was willing to go to any length over alcohol, he already reminded me of that. Now he's hitting me again. Remember? Maybe you forgot about the first reminder. Here's another reminder. Because we start forgetting. Because things start changing. We start feeling better. and We're not sure if we need to do all of this work. Well, you know, I do. And the gifts that come from the work are, are the most profound. And I always say, well, do you know what the gifts are? No. Well, what's more important than what you know? What's way more important than what you don't fucking know or is what you know is what you don't know. And when you think about what you know in your life, it's really fucking very small. And what's more important than what I know is what I don't know. I've got to be open-minded in this program. The closed-mindedness is going to hold me back from the true gifts of this program. So I got to do all of this stuff with an open mind, with my sponsor, with my pillars, and and really keep working towards this. Because as I get comfortable, then I slow down and my willingness depletes. But I'm sober. Don't you know that that's the greatest gift I ever got in my life? I'm sober? Well, if you're going to settle for just sobriety, you're settling for fucking crumbs. But, I guess if that's all you want, you know, I guess all the power to you. But there's way more than just being sober. And the book tells me later on. We think an alcoholic is unthinking if he thinks sobriety is enough. Because it ain't. And if you're just hanging on to sobriety, fuck, you probably won't be hanging on to it for very long. Because this is the personality change required sufficient to promote recovery from alcoholism. You know? To practice total abstinence alone is fucking... If you're able to do it, kudos to you, but you're probably miserable. And if you're able to do it, you won't do it for long because it doesn't work. I see it all the time. It's growth. Okay. So I'm just going to repeat this line because it's such a good line. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. That sounds like a prayer. You know, I ask that I be given strength and direction from God to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. So I got a story for you here from a sponsee of mine that I sponsored a number of years ago. Um, Some of you guys know him, and I know he has no issue with me telling his story. Um, he, uh, He ended up telling me during the amends process, but we had done thorough work up to this process. And he ended up telling me about something that he had done to basically fraud a company or the government, or whatever, out of some money. And he did this for a number of years. And, uh, and he says, I needed to tell you that, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I'm like, do you realize what you're telling me we, you could go to jail for? It wasn't like a criminal thing. It was more of a fraud thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go to jail if I have to. And I said, you could be gone to jail for quite a while, Mike. And he's like, yeah, I know. But the willingness in that man to accept the responsibility for what he had done and was willing to go to jail to make this right was, to me, mind-blowing and and profound. But it just shows you the power of the personality change when this work is done thoroughly, that a man like that is willing to go to jail to, to... make his amends right because he's willing to go to any length for victory over alcohol so I said okay man what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to Calgary because this was in Regina I'm going to talk to my pillars and then I'll have an answer for you but I prayed and I meditated on the situation myself I got the answer but I didn't just run with my answer I went and talked to my pillars and the consensus was the same as my answer By this point in his recovery, he was paying alimony back to his ex-wife. He had established a really good relationship with her and his daughter, who he had run from previously. And he was now also working at the Salvation Army, where he was living for, for a long time, and he was now packing into the stream of life. He was now sponsoring men from that Salvation Army, and he was packing a lot into the stream of life. So the consensus was that this this man would not go to jail. We would not go and tell on him. And he would continue to make his amends to his family, the living amend and the financial amend, and he would continue sponsoring and continue what he was doing. And at some point later in his life, when he got more financially secure, he would start donating money to that same type of cause that he had been taking from. So this has all happened, and it's just an amazing, amazing story. And that's, you know, just a demonstration of the willingness and the power of this program to change the person to be willing to go to that length for his own recovery and to pack back into the stream of life and do all those good things, which he still does today. And now his daughter lives with him. He's getting married. He, he does a lot of really positive things for the world now. So he uses his worst deficit as his, his his greatest asset today. And he continues to build character. Anyway, we must not shrink at anything. Period. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit a man we knew had remarried because of the resentment and drinking he had not paid alimony to his first wife she was furious she went to court and got an order for his arrest he had commenced our way of life and had secured a position and was getting his head above water it would have been impressive heroics if he walked up to the judge and said here i am we thought we ought to be willing to do that if necessary But if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either of his family. Had he been in jail, he wouldn't be able to take care of his child, his ex-wife, and do all these other things. So that was the consensus that we came to, basically based out of the book and based out of my Pillars experience, who all do a lot of sponsoring and are centred in God as well. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did that, and he also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So if you're going to do an amend that might implicate somebody else in a negative way, you go secure their consent. You just don't go and make the amend to somebody knowing that other people are going to be dragged into this. And that is heavy discussion with the sponsor. And at the sponsor's directive, we do what we're supposed to do. So we go secure the consent of the third party so we don't do more harm than good. I'm not, I'm not doing this to just clear my side of the street at whatever the cost. I've got to be conscientious of what I'm doing to not cause more harm. A huge part of this program is to stop hurting people. And as I kind of follow these directions, I will learn how to not hurt people. And that's an important line right there. If we have obtained their permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival. Giving him no receipt for it, he subsequently denied having received the money. And he used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done wrong. He could not possibly make right. If he opened the old affair, he was afraid that it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away the means of his livelihood. What right did he have to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a statement, a public statement, exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and his partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator, guilty of such ruinous slander. And that's really important. You know, we must not shrink at anything. We take the stand and we leave it in God's hands. Because to live with the guilt and shame is very, very risky. And the freedom, the bondage of self that I live in, I need freedom from that. And by taking these steps, as painful as it is, and I always talk about there's going to be pain anyway. You're going to have the pain of going through something and growing and building strength and fortitude, which is what this situation is all about, or you're going to have pain by taking the easy route and going the easy way. Had this guy not done it, he would have been in unremitting remitting suffering because of his own selfishness and fear of not doing it. And it would plague him and it would, it would, it would haunt him. And we need to clear this shit away. And that's a huge part of what this step does. Cleans up the wreckage of our past. Um, and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made his explanation. His action met widespread approval. And today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. And that's the thing we got to remember, there's, there's not just us today. There's us next month, there's us in six months, there's us in a year and down the road. And the actions that I take now are going to reflect my character as I move along. So had this guy not done that, he would probably not be one of the finest citizens of his town. And, and he would not met a widespread approval and be looked at as a man of character. And now this guy can probably do many things in this community because his character shines brighter than anything. And I always say this is a program of action and a program of attraction. And as you do the action and you change the attraction from the outside world, they start working for you and want to help you. And that's a huge part of this and that's my experience in my own life. Four, the chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we would not care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally different, much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely and sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs, or their equivalent, for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret, exciting affair with a girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, and there's many different situations, whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all of the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say that her. we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable expectations, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we often found this the best course to take. So what I like about all that is he writes, though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort. So this is the sex relation area. doesn't really give you anything totally clear. This is a heavy area where sponsorship comes in because we can do way more harm than good in this area. And if you notice in the sex conduct back in the step four, you know, it says we don't want to be the arbiter uh, of anyone's sex conduct. You know, God can judge that alone. We as humans don't get to judge that. God can judge it. So long as this person has a willingness to change, we believe that he will probably not drink, it talks about. But if his conduct continues, he is sure to drink. So this is about changing of that conduct, and there gives no real path forward in this area in the amends. This is why we have to consult sponsorship and really be careful in this area. And this is where my pillars come in because I deal with different situations with different sponsees in this area where maybe I haven't seen a certain angle of it. So I I will ask him, my sponsor or my pillars, and and get another uh, outside look at it. And then I pray and I meditate and then I I go to God and bring it to my sponsee and, and we hash it out. And this is where experience and sponsorship really comes in. Over the years of dealing with these things over and over, you get a better inclination of maybe what to do and what not to do. At first, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. But in Step 10, it says our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So these are the areas where we grow in understanding and effectiveness. And if you're a sponsor and you get really scared in these spots, this is why God's so important. We pray and we ask for an intuitive thought or inspiration. Then we ask God's help. And no matter what the directive is here, if you're going to God and you're trying to be helpful to somebody, then that's the main thing. You have a sincere desire to be helpful. We leave the results up to God and we give direction. And if you're unsure about anything in the amends as a sponsor or a sponsee, always ask. Always ask. Because you'll always get the answer if you ask, but you could make a selfish mistake if you don't and harm more people. So our design for living is not a one-way street. It is good, as good for the wife as it is for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name another person upon which whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide the way of good sense and loving and kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Oh yeah, it's the most terrible human emotion. And what I want to highlight about what we just read is this book is written for the family and for the medical fraternity so there's a huge component of you know the alcoholic's wife or the alcoholic's husband. Um, it's maybe not this cut and dry as the book says nowadays. It's a little different because back in these days, marriage meant you stuck together. So these the writing here is kind of revolved around once you're married, you're sticking together, and it's saying you know that the women, the woman. This book is as good for the woman as it is for the man, and they must try to make this work no matter what the cost. You know, things are a little different today, which is why sponsorship is so important again. This was written in 1939, right? Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than face-to-face combat. So what we're talking about there, good generalship may decide the problem be attacked on the flank. Maybe not face-to-face combat. With, with my spouse. I, I attack it from the side with my sponsor. And we maybe come up with a, a different way of, of working around this, because I don't want to cause more harm. I don't want face-to-face combat. So I, I maybe discuss this with, with a sponsor or a pillar and really get some different perspective on how to handle different situations. If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs is to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But yet he is a long way from making good to the wife or parents for whom years he is so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today would perhaps be dead so the main premise of that paragraph is the living amend and this is why you know a husband who has been turning up the home in turmoil for years he lives the amend he's not going to go and do a set of steps quickly and go make an apology to his wife and just move on he's going to go home and and live this amend you know, certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home, but he is a long way from making good to his wife or his parents. This really involves the whole family. You're far away from making good to the wife or parents or your family or anyone you really affected. It comes through a living and amend. And the living amend doesn't mean just carry on with your, your behaviors and stay sober, it means what can I pack into the stream of life in this home? How can I be present? What can I do to be helpful? How can I really make this home or this situation a better situation? An example for me is I went to my mom's the other day to visit her. And right outside her door, and I do this a lot, I, I prayed for like a minute before I knocked on the door. And I just asked, because, you know, my mom's dealt with my bullshit. And I just said, you know what, allow me to be present. And oh, I should also qualify. Sometimes me and my mom we don't always get totally along so I gotta do like extra work she hates when I swear and anyone that knows me knows I'm a swearer so I gotta I gotta really mellow that shit out when I'm with my mom because if I swear if I say the fuck word twice or three times holy she's mad so I really gotta like get grounded and centered and you know really respect my mom when I go to her house and pray for kindness and Tolerance and respect, and take a deep breath, knock on the door, and go in, give her a hug, and try to treat her as best as I can because that's my living amen. Right? So, yeah, we had a really good conversation the other day. It was unbelievable. One of the best conversations I ever had with my mom. We talked about stuff I've never ever talked to her about. And she started crying and I started tearing up a bit too and we might carry this conversation on. And the benefit of this at five and a half years or so is I get to maybe have a conversation with my mom about my childhood. And she says, yeah, we probably can, but not today. Because there's a whole bunch of missing pieces in my childhood and I grew up very angry. But we talked about it because I've been working my program And it came to a place organically where we're probably going to have this discussion. And it's going to be vulnerable and it's going to help me heal. It's going to help her heal because this is a program of healing. But this wouldn't have happened unless I stayed sober and did this stuff for all these years. And as I do this and I bring God in, I get to heal more. And I'm turning more and more of my life over to God even at five and a half years. And then I get more serenity, more peace, more true freedom of the human spirit. So... You know, this this is a lifetime thing. And a lot of the stuff doesn't reveal itself in the first year. God knows what you need to reveal in your first year or two or three. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. So long as your own house is in order, it talks about. Second last paragraph of page 164, that's what it talks about. So God will constantly disclose more to you and to us about whatever's wrong with us. What is this but a miracle of healing? talks about in we agnostics. Well, what do we mean? means that I'm healing when I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God. The alcoholic is like a tornado, tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came out of the cellar to find his home ruined. To find his wife he, to his wife, he remarked, don't say anything the matter here ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? And I've worked so, with some alcoholics that they're more than a tornado. They're like hurricanes taking out whole eastern seaboards. Fucking destroying everything in their path. And to just think that sobriety is enough, coming out of the root cellar, saying to your family, Hey, I'm sober. Everything should be good now. That's not enough. And the book tells me, no, sobriety is not enough. That's the crumbs. I don't want the crumbs, man. I want the good shit. But the good shit doesn't come for a while. It might start looking good in your first year, but the good shit really comes later. Once you start understanding the selfish, self-centeredness part. Once you start understanding the self-sacrifice part, unselfish constructive action part, the altruistic part, working with others is a huge addition to peace and serenity and, and, and this program. Like all of these things combined, not just parts of it, take you to a place that's, that's amazing, that's you know indescribable, at least from my standpoint where I'm at at five and a half years. And then this next paragraph is awesome. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. Well, typically most people are going to say, yeah, there's a long period of reconstructing of these relationships ahead of me. Yeah, but no, that's not what I'm going to lay down here tonight or with my sponsees. The long period of reconstruction ahead is God build with me and do with me as thou wilt. This is about me rebuilding me through God's help. God, take away my difficulties. Which are my defective character. That cause my difficulties in my life. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Because I am the problem. And where do I do this? Where do I get the reconstruction? Where do I rebuild myself? Primarily in step six. And the understanding the depth of actually what step six does. And what, what what the theory is. But then what the action is. Step three is the actual surrender of what. I mean step six is the actual surrender of what step three is talking about. You know, I'm just gonna read it quickly here and just talk about it for a few minutes. I offer myself to thee. It's an offering. God, I'm offering myself to you to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. To build with me, do with me. I'm a renovation. God come into me. Use your sledgehammers and your your tools and rip me apart. Make me a skeleton of a, like, basically a house, a renovation of a house. You go in and you renovate a house, you knock out all the shit, and what's left in this old house is just the boards. And it's a skeleton of a house. And now you rebuild it, you renovate it, and you go in and you rebuild it with the best drywall, the best ceilings, the best lighting, the best fixtures, the best tubs, everything. And then when you're done this renovation, it's the best that it's ever been. And then we maintain it. That's kind of what I'm asking God to do with me. Do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Relieve me of me, because I'm the problem. Selfish, self-centeredness, that we believe is the root of our troubles. Driven by these hundred forms of fear and self-delusion, self-pity, self-seeking, I step on the toes of my fellows. Blah, blah, blah. That I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, because my difficulties cause me all my difficulties. And I learned that in the fourth. I start learning the flaws in my makeup that have caused my failure. These problems arise out of myself. And the alcoholic is the most extreme extreme example of self will run riot. But I usually don't think so. But once I start seeing the truth and the step work, I'm like, oh yeah, I am the problem. So that victory over these difficulties may bear witness to those I may help. And I love that. Victory over these things. There's a fight. It's not easy to relinquish these things that have been driving my life my whole life. It takes great willingness, which is the essence of step six. And victory over them, meaning I fight through this shit persistently, consistently, with God's help. Any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. Because spirituality is where Step six lies. But where does this fight take place? Well, what's the principle behind step 10? Perseverance. What does perseverance mean? It means fight through. That's where my step six fight actually happens, in the mechanics. The mechanics, not the theory of step 10. And step 10 is not I promptly make amends when I'm wrong. That is not step 10. That's what it says on the walls of Alcoholics Anonymous. But that is not what it says in the big book. The big book is my solution, not the steps on the wall at the meeting. So, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. Step 6 is where I reconstruct myself with great willingness and honesty to try repeatedly Step six, on all my faults that caused my failure, without reservation, whatever. And then I indeed come a long way spiritually. And like step ten says, because it's worked in the ten, I become God conscious. And I'm walking in the image and likeness of my creator. Eventually, or trying, at least trying, right? So there's a long period of reconstruction it has. And I reconstruct myself and I become the best person I can be and I live these amend and build character, my relationships just naturally get better. So as I get better from the inside and I produce better actions, my relationships just naturally get better. Just like Emmett's example of him with that guy that he knew. And as Emmett just built character, the guys, you know, they're interactive. And the relationship rebuilds itself. I don't need to go force myself to rebuild the relationship. So many of us have wives and families and we destroy them. Then we go and try to really fix this shit. We're not doing ourselves any favors by going to try to refix this. We build, rebuild ourselves with the character and the help of God. And the relationships rebuild themselves. Because I don't need any more self-will in my life. Because I am convinced that any life run on my self-will is hardly a success. Let's look at the fucking evidence. It's everywhere. Even in recovery. Even if I think I'm turning my will in my life over. The understanding of step six and seven, step ten, are so important in this program. We must take the lead. Yeah, I got to take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry will not fit the fucking bill. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. Being very careful not to criticize them. Very important. We're we're working on ourselves. We're not here to criticize them. And at some point you can have vulnerable conversations with your family. But it will always come from a place of love and kindness and tolerance. Not from anger and, and these other things that are destructive to relationships. Um... Being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring. Yeah, they might be. But the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. Probably. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patient, tolerance, kindness, and love. There's another prayer. that, our, that our, um, We ask in the morning that our Creator show us the way. I don't need to go self-will the way. With my best of intention, I ask God. I always ask God. Always go to God. The more God in your life, the more often, the more sincere, the better off your life will be. And step 10 is designed to have God working in your life like all day. Which is why step 10 is the keys to this. But the understanding of 6 is also important. The spiritual life is not a theory, Matt. This is not a theory. We have to live it. Well, how do we live it? We follow the directions. Well, what's the directions? The directions is I have a full way of doing inventory in step four. I got an inventory to look at fears, and I got an inventory to look at sex relation. And then I have my step 10, and I have clear-cut directions on how to live my moment-by-moment my life. Step 10 takes this program of God of a theory and actually implements clear-cut mechanics. And if I'm aware enough, because without awareness, none of this shit works. If I'm not aware of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and have a willingness to change, this shit doesn't work. So step 10 is the keys to this shit. And it takes this spiritual life theory to spiritual life pragmatic, practical action. And if I follow the, the steps in the step 10, there's five of them. The the result of those five processes is a principle. Well, what's the principles? The principles, the end is greater than the means. The principles are the means. What is the end? The end is love again. So no matter what my situation, I follow that step 10 process, and the principle is always the result. Whether it's honesty, whether it's kindness, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's courage, whatever it is. It's always the, the result. So I don't need to do these steps and then pretend like I'm practicing these principles in my life. I follow the directions, the principles, the result. Always. This is why I'm like this. In the step seven, it says, To be willing to work for humility takes most of us a long, comma a fucking long time. A whole lifetime geared to self-centeredness cannot be set in reverse at once. Rebellion dogs are every step at first. It doesn't have to take a long, calm, a long time. If I want to just think that I'm practicing principles in my affairs and not understand step 10, yeah, it's going to take a long time. And I'm probably going to be making amends all through the time. But if I understand the five-step the five process of step 10, the result is humility. The result is principle, always. And then I don't need to make it long, calm, a long time. And this whole lifetime geared to self-centeredness gets cut off because that is what step 10 is doing. I am turning my will and my life over to the care of God in step 10 when I follow the mechanics, not the theory, and especially not what it says on the fucking wall in AA rooms. That is the biggest bullshit I've seen ever. And that is why so many people are not getting this program. I don't know how many times I go to a meeting on step 10, and even the old-timers are like, Oh, I, I do step 10s all the time. I promptly admit when I'm wrong. That is not step 10. And when you look at step 10 in the book, On the process, it says we continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Awareness. When these crop up, boom. It says I ask God to remove it at once. Solution one, God. And then I talk to someone immediately. Solution two, I talk to a pillar. Because they can show me the facts and direct me to God. And I can see the truth. Because my truth is always skewed from self. Then it says we make, make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. That, that line in that process is such an afterthought. It's not, even a, it's not even surrounded by two periods. It's got a comma in it. Meaning if. If I've harmed anyone, which I won't be if I'm following the other processes. And then it says we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Yeah, because my very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on my constant thought of others and how I may help meet their needs. I start off with the problem of me, I end off with the solution of you. So step 10, next, this Sunday, I'm going to fucking drop the bombs because I love that shit. That is the keys to the kingdom. But the why I'm talking about it so much right now is because this is a long period of reconstruction. It is the attainment of greater humility. It's obtained through the mechanics of step 10, not through the theory or through what it says on the wall. So anyway, let's keep going. Um, So the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought to not not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. That's important, man, because it's about the intent. It's always about pure intent. If I really could write these, I really would. And that's the whole point. A sincere desire to seek and do God's will. The the premise behind this line is actually genuine humility as described in step seven. Um, some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if, we, if it can be avoided. We should be sensible and tactful, considerate and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anybody. So there's a number of different ways that I'll do amends with people. Some, sometimes I'm going to get my sponsees to write letters. Because I don't want them to make a direct amend to somebody because maybe the person's married now. Or maybe the person has already told them, don't ever contact me. We still need to make the amend for the harm done. So I'm going to say, okay, I want you to write a sincere letter. I want you to find a prayer online that goes with the letter. And you might have six letters and 15 prayers for 20 or 30 people that you can't go make direct amends to. And I'm going to say, go to the mountain or go to the river. Go somewhere next Saturday when it's nice and sunny out and you say these prayers with sincerity and you and God make make your peace with these people. Or I defer the amend and I wait. Or it is a direct amend. Or it's a living amend. And for sure it's a living amend until the direct amend presents itself. Or it's just a prayer. Some people die and you can't go make the amend. So then a letter and a prayer are great things to do. There's a number of different ways to make these amends. And same with the financial amends. And, but the sponsor dictates this stuff. Um, so, but we don't delay. That's important. We don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, humble, without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't call before anyone. Here we go. We're getting into the Step 9 Promises. They're the step nine promises for a reason. Um, I hear newcomers coming into the program and at three months sober, they're saying, oh, yeah, all those promises have come true. Well, what step are you on? Well, I haven't started the steps yet. The fucking step nine promises have not come true, bud. Okay? (laughs) They're step nine promises for a reason. But what I want to highlight here is the alcoholic can rationalize and justify the most errant nonsense because we think we fucking know everything. I think I knew what honesty was when I got here. I had no idea what honesty was. I thought I knew what the word serenity meant. I had no idea what it meant. All I knew is in my head I knew a lot of bullshit. Most of it was my own self-delusion. It wasn't until I got rigorously honest and learned how to grasp and develop a manner of living that demanded this rigorous honesty. That I even started having a clue. The book says we'll comprehend the word serenity. Yeah, I can intellectualize anything. I can rationalize and justify anything to suit me. Because I have pride. And I have all these things that kind of drive me. So the step nine promises happen halfway through your step nines. But try to tell a newcomer that who's convinced that You know, he's connected with God and he hasn't even done any work in this program. And he's got the best relationship ever. But he can't stay sober. You know, everyone in the back row, they know everything, but they don't know how to stay sober. What the fuck are we talking about? There's 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 a process to this shit. And through the action, tells me in in working with others, faith alone is insufficient. This idea that I have faith, it's not sufficient. To be vital, to give life, must be accompanied by self-sacrifice, which is so important to understand. An unselfish, constructive action, which is the acts of altruism. We work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. Spiritual meaning God, altruistic plane meaning I'm actually altruistic. Not just the actions of altruism, although I've got to get to altruism somehow, so I've got to take the actions. But the goal is, is to be altruistic. Which means I unselfishly devote my time, welfare, well-being to somebody else's welfare and happiness. But I do it unselfishly. But I don't do that unselfishly when I first start doing this. I'm doing it selfishly because I need to stay alive. And you're telling me to. And I got no other option. But then after a while I'm doing it because it makes me feel good. Well, I'm still doing it for me. Eventually I do it for you. That's where the gifts are. That's where the gifts are. It's a process, it takes a while. And it doesn't have to take a long calm, a long time. It can take a shorter time. But you gotta be directed properly. And it needs to be followed directions. The directions are so important. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions, original manuscript. The original manuscript kind of lays out how it works way better than the big book today. And they might be able to get away with not sponsoring anybody and fucking go into a meeting here and there and, you know. But the real alcoholic watched the moderate drinker come to a meeting once a month going, fuck, why can that guy do it? He doesn't need to sponsor. Yeah, but he's not you. This is the one of the problems with Alcoholics Anonymous is the real alcoholic that needs this shit is getting skewed by people that are here for a social club or fucking whatever it is. But the real deal alcoholic needs to follow these directions purely the way that they're written. And this program, the only requirement here is just the desire to stop drinking. So I might only got drunk once in my life. (laughs) And if I have a desire to not drink, I, I can come here. But the problem is I might compare myself to a fucking moderate drinker or a heavy drinker. And if I'm getting sponsored by a moderate drinker, I'm in fucking trouble. Because a moderate drinker is going to tell me to go home and read the book myself and answer some fucking sheets, and I, can't, and I wonder why I'm not staying sober. And I wonder why everyone else talks about their sponsor reading the book with them, but mine's not. Because their life and death situation isn't like mine. So, you know, listen to the people sharing. Find out if you're a real alcoholic. And if you are, then you really need this stuff. And if you're not, you know, welcome here. Just don't sponsor anyone. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, tells me right away it's going to be fucking painful. <laughs> Fuck. If we are painstaking, it's going to hurt. This program hurts, man. But through the hurt is the gold. If we are painstaking about this phase, this is one phase of our development. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and new happiness. A new freedom, new happiness. I don't, I don't get my old life back. I'm recreating a new life. How do I do this? Through the foundation. Every newcomer soon realizes for himself that his instincts gone astray has been the primary cause of his destructive drinking and failure at life. Unless he is now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of these defects, both peace of mind and sobriety will still elude him. All the faulty foundation of his life will be torn out, built upon a new bedrock. Well, what's the faulty foundation of my life? How did I build my life? On self. It has to be torn out and built upon this new bedrock. Well, what's the new bedrock? The cornerstone. God is everything or God is nothing. God is everything. It has to be built on God, of which everything else is built from. That is what a foundation is. So I've got to rip out the old faulty foundation, and I've got to build on a new foundation of God. And that's not a partial foundation. It's a full foundation, of which everything else is built from. That's what we're talking about. It's about God. And I get a new freedom from this. Freedom from what? From the bondage of self. Well, how do I get the freedom from bondage of self? Well, it talks about in step three, the keystone of this new and triumphant arch, which I shall pass through to freedom. So God's the foundation. But now I got to take the action of the concept that God is now runs my life. And this concept that God's running my life is the keystone Of this new and triumphant arch that I pass through to freedom. So this concept of God running my life. Takes the action of me relinquishing that. Where do I relinquish that? I relinquish it in my understanding of step 6. Working the 10. And through this process. I get a new happiness. It's not the same. And I get a new life. I recreate my life. I was reborn. Like it says in step 3. It's one of the promises of really relinquishing my life to God. Having a new employer, being all powerful, he must necessarily provide for me what I need if if I stay close to him and I perform his work well through the acts of altruism. I become less and less interested in my own little plans and designs. Am I still interested in all my own little plans and designs? Or am I more looking at what I can contribute to life? Am I fearing today, tomorrow, and the hereafter? Or am I not fearing today, tomorrow, and the hereafter? Am I staying present? It's another thing about what step 10 is. It's about staying present with God in the moment. Because you only got God in the moment. You don't have God five minutes ago or five minutes ahead. You got him now. Which is why step 10 is the presence of God right now. And then I live differently. And it's mechanics, not theory. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Yeah, I won't regret it because it becomes useful. It becomes my teacher. And for me, I lost my wife, lost my kids, lost my house, lost my business, lost everything. I guess I had to so I could find who I actually was. I had to lose everything so I could find the truth of who I am. So I don't regret everything. Yeah, there's some things I ain't really happy about that I did. But I needed to go through those life's experiences so I could find out the truth of who I am now. Because I spent my whole life looking for me outside of me. And it wasn't until I came into this program broken down that I found who I truly was. And now I can stand on my feet. I'm not servile or scraping. I stand before my creator only. I don't rely on, on the things from outside of me for the most part, to keep me happy. Still work in progress, don't get me wrong. But step seven is kinda how I try to live my life. And it works for me very well. And I don't have my business anymore. I don't live in my million dollar house. My wife's moved on. Like, but I'm pretty fucking good. Why? Because I've dedicated my life as much as I can, as a selfish individual, to God, to try to be service. I really take the line of my real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and the fellows about me. And as I try to do that, good things come back to me. And as I am become fulfilled through the service work that I do here, the, the other things that were silly, the, my little plans and designs that I always tried to manage to make me happy, who cares? Because that's not the point anymore. And, and it's a good place to be. A lot of the days I'm in freedom from bondage of self. Some days I get tied right up in that shit. But at least I got a set of directions to get me out of it. At least I got the awareness to go, oh, you're going down the loop. Fucking hold it, buddy. And then I can go, oh, yeah, I fucking like the loop today. Well, I'm going down. And then I spend a week getting out of it. But I had the choice. And I knew I had the choice before I went down in the loop. Now it's like riding a skateboard ramp, trying to fucking get back out of it, right? And if I get too tired trying to get out of it, I sink into it lower. But usually I catch myself on the first quarter of the loop and I'm like, fuck you today, and I get back out of the loop. Because I don't want to live there, but every now and then I do. So we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, because it's my teacher. We will comprehend the word serenity. I get to feel that inside. I get to feel these things and feel peace of mind. I get to feel true freedom of the human spirit. I get to feel things. I get to feel what serenity feels like. Wow, what a gift. I get to feel what peace of mind is like. What a gift. I never experienced that until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I cleaned house. And if I don't keep cleaning house with my step 10, keeping the channel clear, I won't feel it. And then before you know it, if I still don't clean house and I let it ramp up on me, I'm either doing another set of steps or I'm fucking drinking. <laughs> no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. So let me ask some of you, some of you alcoholics and addicts, are you, have you, are you showing how your experience can benefit others? Do you comprehend the word serenity? Well, the big one. For, well, we can rationalize the word serenity, so maybe that one's not really fair, because we can only know what we know. But we can't. Comp- we can't rationalize this one. Do we see how our experience can benefit others? Am I using how my experience can benefit other people, or am I just keeping my experience to myself and trying to get on with the business of being self-satisfied? Like all of these step nine promises are kind of a barometer to see where you're at. The feeling of uselessness and will, self-pity will disappear. Has, has the feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappeared with the number of years of recovery you have in your life? Or are you still prey to misery and depression? Are you still living the step zero promises on page 52 and you've been in recovery? Are you living all eight of them or are you living seven of them? Are you living one of them? Or do we live in two or three of them some of the time? These are all barometers. Because these promises are true in my opinion. Not always 100% true. Because we're humans. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Do I have interest in my fellows? Have I lost interest in my selfish, self-centered things that I always wanted? And do I have interest in you? Barometers. It's not just black and white words. This is a book of teaching. Self-seeking will slip away. Do I even know what fucking self-seeking is? Do I understand what the selfish self-centeredness of this is? Or do I rationalize and think I know what it means, but I've never really took the time to study what self-seeking is? Has it slipped away? Is it gone? Is it gone most of the time or is it gone only like hardly any of the time? Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Has my whole attitude and outlook upon this life actually changed? Or am I just sober, settling for some crumbs? Or maybe do I got the bigger pieces of crumbs? We have had profound spiritual experiences that have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our thinking, towards God's universe and our fellow's. Have I had that profound spiritual experience that have revolutionized my whole attitude and outlook towards life, towards my fellows, and towards God's universe? Or am I still caught in the same things that I've kind of always been caught in? That's what we're talking about. You know? Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, I see the underlying reasons why I was making a heavy going of life. We get to see that in four. There's a whole bunch of good shit in the we agnostic chapter. I wish I could remember the whole chapter. Anyway. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. Most people think that that one's a joke. Well, how do you not have fear of economic insecurity? Well, I don't know. I got it. I don't know. I used to make fucking 3 million bucks a year. I used to clear 15,000, 10,000 bucks a month most of my life. And now I don't clear fuck all. And I don't know where my next dime's coming from. But I know when I stick close to God and I perform his work well, he gives me what I need. Perfect. Great point. And for me, as I discussed, like, I don't know where my next I'm coming from, blah, 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 blah. So that's not really the point. The point is, as you change and you have this profound alteration in your perspective of life, you can still do your job and still go and make money. But the fear of economic insecurity leaves you. So you, you start working for the people and for God, and, and, and you're not worried about it anymore. It's not driving your life like, like it would have at a certain point. And things just start changing. But that seems like not logical, right? How can you not have insecurity, financial insecurity? That one doesn't seem right to most people. It's almost like let's just put a black line through that one because I I don't think life's possible without having some financial insecurity. Well, it's a promise in the big book and the most spiritual book that I've ever read. And it's my experience too. And the experience of many others. So it leaves you. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Intuitively. Why? Because I have the inner God guidance system, the GPS, that guides me and tells me what's right and what's wrong. And I start clearing the channel through my step work. And I start sharpening the tool of intuition because my intuition is my truth and it'll never guide me wrong. And I start listening to that thing. And I start knowing how to handle situations. I don't need to set all these boundaries all over my life. Most boundaries human beings set in their life are based out of insecurity. When you're secure and you're who you are, and you start using that God-centered inner voice, that will set every boundary in your life. Because you will be speaking from a place of truth, from your heart, not from your mind and logic and what people tell you. And you think. It comes from a different place. And the intuition sets your boundaries. Your God consciousness. God is love. Love will set your boundaries. Intuition. Blah, blah, blah. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of this. We will suddenly realize that the God-centeredness within us... Our prayers and meditation, the intuitive thoughts and inspirations is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because for myself, I'm always going to go to the mind. I'm always going to use the mind to try to figure shit out logically. We stop doing that. We get into here. We sharpen this tool of intuition. And it happens over time. happens over consistently working this program. But the whole program. Because if you're only working half the program, you're not going to get the intuition making your choices for you. You're still going to logically think that, think shit out, and make decisions based on logic. And I'm not saying logic's a bad thing. It's one of our greatest attributes God gave us. But there's a greater gift. And it's your intuition. And it only comes through working all of this program, in my experience. A lot of the people that are working half ass programs, they're not tapping in to the God-centeredness in or inside themselves. And then they're still making decisions based on self trying to run their lives. And, you know, they're sober. So I guess that's good. But there's more. There's so much more. How it works says it all. We had to let go of our old ideas or the result was nil, you know. There's a whole bunch in the How It Works that really describes what I'm talking about. Learning how to grasp and develop this manner of living that demands rigorous honesty. Honesty with myself. I do tons of step fives as a sponsor. The number one thing I see why people drink and aren't happy is because they've never tapped into their truth of who they are. And they've never spoken their true truth. And it's not their fault because society teaches us and ingrains and indoctrinates us to think and act and be a certain way. And then we always think about what other people think. The number one thing I think on every step five is what other people think. It's not about what other people think. It's about what you feel in that inner resource and that sets your boundaries. And then it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. Because if you're true to yourself, you're true to your own God, does it really matter what anyone else thinks? No, it doesn't. Are these extravagant promises? Fuck yeah. They're pretty extravagant. If you ask me, we think not. They're being fulfilled among us. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Yeah, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Well, maybe we can speed it up if we understand what step 10 is. If we understand what step 6 and 7 is. We can speed it up. We can speed it up if we're working with others doesn't have to take a long come a long time I think working with others using step 11 as power following the step 10 inventory process bringing God in those three steps are the steps that'll take you to to the place and the understanding of six and seven but are they're actually worked in the ten they will always materialize if we work for them For if the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through the work and self-sacrifice for others, he will not meet the certain trials and low spots in life ahead. So it's telling me right in that sentence how to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life. It's through the work and self-sacrifice. Well, what's step six? Step six is about self-sacrifice. So I get to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through the understanding of six worked in my ten. And if the alcoholic fails to work, he will certainly drink. And if he drinks, he will certainly die. With us, it's just like that. Period. It's promise, right out of the book, Bill's story. So that's all I got for tonight. Perfect timing.